Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equipping You Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, I have a special guest, our friend and sister in Christ, Susan Heck. Susan, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dave. It's a joy. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, it's great to great to have you. Uh, before we get started on today's topic, can you uh, can you uh, catch us up on what's been happening in your life and and ministry and uh, any ministry projects that you're working on? Sure. Um, things are going well. I've been widowed now for a year and a half, almost, uh, it'll be two years in August. So, uh, the Lord's been faithful, kind. He's kept me very busy. The year my husband passed away, I had 31 speaking engagements. This year I have 40. So, um, it just seems like he's, um, this is the beginning of a new chapter in my life for now. As a widow, I can, as an unmarried woman, I can please the Lord. And so I just am teaching more discipling more, counseling more. So doing that, Second Peter uh, is getting ready to come out. And uh, First Peter just came out about two months ago with the Master in the Fiery Furnace. So that's my ninth Bible study to be published. So number 10 will be coming out, Second Peter, uh, with the Master Remembering Precious Truths. So we're, we're continuing to publish books. And I'm thankful for the Lord's kindness there. And uh, then one of the exciting things since the last time I saw you was um, the Shepherd's Wives Conference. We hosted that a few months ago, and uh, we're planning another one for next year. We had 300 women at the first Shepherd's Wives Conference with some really um, outstanding uh, things that happened. And I'm just so thankful. Encouraged a lot of pastor's wives all over. Uh, represented, I think, over 36 states and over 100 churches. So uh, we'll be doing that again next year, Lord willing, and we're in the planning process now. So oh. anyway, those are just some of the things I'm doing, but <laughs> staying busy. That's wonderful. Praise the <laughs> Lord. You know, that's yep. so encouraging to to hear, um, you know, pastor's wives are definitely neglected and, you know, we, we need to have uh, more things, you know, geared to them to, you know, help them and, you know, so yes. they, they get the care that they need too. So that's really good. You know, guys, today we're going to talk about something, you know, um, it seems like uh, I get to step out of my comfort zone quite often lately on the show, and uh, that's good for my sanctification, but uh, this one makes me um, kind of want to duck and hide, but uh, I'm not going to duck and hide and uh, cave to the fear of man on this one, but um, there has been, I'm sure some of you are aware there has been a, for lack of better words, way to say it, there's been a firestorm on social media about the role of women in the church today. And so um, Susan has been mentioned among that aspect of things, unfortunately, and there's a lot of confusion among women that I've heard from and about. And they're also concerned that many men who are of the same theological persuasion as me complementarian 
haven't spoken up. And I've been honestly shocked so far that more men um, haven't spoken up. I, I think that the problem is, is they don't know yet or they're doing what they do behind the scenes. And that's that's good, too, you know. Um, but I, I, I wanted to, as I thought about this and I was asked, would you do something on this? I thought, OK, well, maybe I'll have my wife on. And then I heard that and seeing you were mentioned, I was like, well, that'd be better. I, I, I made sure I went and talked to my wife so that her feelings weren't hurt. She said, no, have Susan on. And so um, that's that's where we're at today. We're going to talk about uh, some of these things that are happening. So do you want to say anything about that before we get into the questions? No, that's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, our conversation this morning. I think it I hope that it will help and give clarification to women out there that are kind of not knowing what what to believe or what to think about the recent social media <laughs> dilemma. So yeah, I think I think this is just a good place to pause maybe and just comment really briefly. Yeah, you know, we're not doing this to single anybody out. Uh we're not we're not we're not doing this to point fingers. The real motivation behind this is really to help the women that are, you know, confused, they wonder what's happening. What do I think about this? Um, you are a very trusted uh, speaker and uh, women look to you a lot for guidance. And so, you know, praise God for that, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of why we're doing this episode. But um, does does so, so first question, does Titus 2, 3 through 5 support older women teaching younger women? Yes, it does. And it's actually a command in scripture. So it is a command that old women teach young women. And uh, when I teach that um, to churches and places I go, I remind older women, this is not an option for them. This is a command. They are to be teaching young women. And uh, so if they're not doing that, they need to reexamine why. Because it is a command by God, so Amen. and and likewise for the men. I mean, it it, it not only talks about mm -hmm. older older women, it talks about you know older men as well. And I've I've been fortunate to have many older men uh, in in that have been there, done that in ministry, come alongside of me and help me. And uh, and I'm always talking about these types of things um, because it's really important. We get the whole idea of intergenerational ministry, you know, the life on life, uh, those who have gone through things and have the theological knowledge and aptitude and they're coming alongside those with, you know, that, that maybe don't have that and don't have the life experience with the Lord, mm -hmm. with his word, trusting him. And so I think that's um, really good. So this question came in from uh, one of the ladies who listens to the show. What what does teach what is good mean in Titus 2? Well, teaching what is good means what's useful morally. And you do that uh, by your word, uh, by your words and by your example. So I think teaching what is good would be would be inclusive of all all of Scripture, plus the specifically the seven fold curriculum that Paul gives there to Titus for the old women to teach young women, teachers of good things. And so good things would include the seven full curriculum along with all the things in scripture we are to teach. Now that doesn't mean, I would like to say this, it doesn't mean that all women uh, should be doing what I'm doing, you know, traveling all over and speaking. Not everyone has that ability, time, uh, energy. They're not called to do that. They don't maybe don't even have gifts of quote teaching. 
but they're still to, with their words and with their example, they are to be teaching young women these things. Yeah. So, so like somebody that like yourself or somebody else, um, you know, what they're, what they're doing is, you know, they're providing, they're equipping them so that wherever they go, you know, they can teach likewise. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and fulfill Titus too. Right. Yeah. So here's some, here's some big questions now. Is teaching women how to study the Bible and to teach other women to do the same thing a good thing? Yes, of course. It's a very good thing, uh, especially if women have get, uh, gifts of teaching because the Holy Spirit gives to everyone severally as he will. In other words, gifts. So it's not just men that have teaching gifts. Women have teaching gifts, too. So if she's got a gift of teaching uh, and she has her husband's blessing and and she has the time to do it I, and if she's not neglecting her family, which is her priority, her home, then I think that she can use that opportunity to teach women the Bible and uh, teach them. That's a good thing. <laughs> those are one of those good things. So I see no restrictions in scripture other than she's not allowed to usurp authority over man in the local assembly, the pillar and ground of the truth, the gathered assembly of believers. Uh, she's not to stand up on Sunday morning. If if a man desires the office of a pastor, he desires a good thing, not a woman. Amen. So that would be her only limitation uh, in her teaching other others. And so it'd be with, with women, children. Uh, men can learn from women, but just not in the uh, a public assembly, you know, during the worship services, not it's not it's prohibited yeah i think i think this is a good place I, I agree that's really good you know i think it's a good place to go to like ephesians 5 and we see the mutual submission between mm -hmm. a man and a woman you know which we you can go to galatians 3 you know um you know we are we are there's there's obviously a, we would say a difference between a man and a woman we know that not just from the bible we know that as we look at ourselves hello you know hello. not to be right. too not to be too graphic there but no i agree yeah i agree but, yeah and you know like in our home we we uh, sarah and i we said and we you know we've had many when we first got married we had many conversations about these these types of issues and um, just other other things as well over the years. And we just open up the Bible. We talk about it, you know, and, you know, as the husband, that's part of my job is to shepherd my wife and to wash her with the word. And that doesn't mean that I'm being dominating. Um, mm -hmm. It means that I have to, you know, exercise the fruits of the spirit. And uh, when she has a legitimate question and she, you know, is struggling with something. Um, my job is to walk alongside of her and to help her not to be like, hey, guess what? Um, you, you're going to advance beyond me as if as if who cares? I mean, um, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, we have many Sarah and I have many conversations, not just about, you know, questions about the Bible, but uh, but about now it's move beyond that really not beyond the bible of course i'm not saying that but we talk a lot about contemporary theological challenges um we talk about you know when i'm going to go on an interview um we talk about these interviews we talk about our magazine talk about the issues of the day and the news and you know sometimes the even with family worship it's like you don't have to have a set curriculum you know those can be that can be i would just say from my opinion 
my perspective, those can be those can be a great supplement and you can bring the Bible to bear on the latest issues of the day. And, you know, that's just as profitable as, you know, going through. And I'm not saying that it's more profitable. I'm saying it's just as profitable as going through like a book and whatever. That doesn't mean that we don't ever read the Bible or talk about the Bible. Um, we bring the Bible to bear, meaning that, you know, specific passages and stuff like that. But I think that's another way that, you know, husbands especially can, you know, shepherd and love their wives. And I don't think that that's enough of enough consideration is is given or talked about, um, at least from what I see in books and those types of things today. Yeah, I agree with you. My husband and I disagreed on some theological issues and also uh, just practice practical issues in ministry, but we had a very healthy marriage of 46 years and he was never threatened by uh, any of that. We would, we would dialogue, we would talk. Uh, he would help me to see things from a different perspective and I would bring questions, you know, and things like that. And in fact, uh, when I met Doug, he, he had most of the new Testament memorized, hadn't completed it. And I actually completed the memorizing the New Testament, he did not, but he wasn't threatened by that. And he encouraged me to memorize. He encouraged me to study church history, theology, take Greek. Um, he he saw I had a spiritual gift of teaching. And my husband said, Susan, we need more female expositors. And he uh, encouraged me to raise up a generation of female expositors to women. And so he was my biggest cheerleader. So when he passed, that was a little bit rough because he was always the most excited for me to do what I was doing. And and we would talk about what I was teaching. And of course, all my books were uh, theologically you know, edited by him to make sure they were they're fine. Now my son does, who's a pastor as well. But, um, you know, I was under the protection of my husband and the authority of my husband. But my husband uh, wanted me to grow and learn and be used by God. And I'm so thankful for that. We had a very spiritual two people marriages, so companionship. Yeah, and and there's a place for like you're saying, like we're both saying, there's a place for that open, honest dialogue mm -hmm. where you're not, you know, I mean, we all in the flesh get upset because you know that's what you know the flesh does. It gets right. It gets, it gets <laughs> right. mad, you know, and right. and, and right. then you have to you know talk through that and you know, beyond the finger pointing and all that. And, right. you know, maybe, 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 you know, we, we I, I've been married, we've been married, my wife and I've been married 16 years. You guys were married, you know, 46. 46. What, <laughs> what, uh, what wisdom do you have there for people to, you know, navigate that and those kind of things? Well, I think, you know, my husband was so wise. He said, you know, don't micromanage each other in marriage. And we made it a habit not to do that. I mean, it took some, you know, getting to know each other. But he didn't micromanage me. I didn't micromanage him. We trusted each other that we would use our days to glorify God. Did we fulfill our biblical roles? Yes. I was a stay-at-home mom. I raised my kids. Uh, you know, I didn't do what I was doing until my children left home. I was under the authority and submission of my husband. And so, but we didn't, we didn't nitpick at each other and try to, you know, my husband trusted me to, to live my days purposefully. And uh, we had, a, and we both worked out of the home and, and we had a very good, healthy relationship. We didn't argue, especially, you know, of course, those first years are a little challenging, but getting to know each other, but, but, um, you know, we just, we're, we're, we're friends. 
And uh, so it was it was a great relationship. But I think, you know, my husband used to say, don't micromanage each other and walk in the spirit and your marriage will be fine. <laughs> so yeah. and that's really true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And and guys, whenever I say this, I always got to explain what I mean. And I'll tell uh, maybe I'll. Yeah. You got to specifically apologize to your to your spouse. And I'll never forget. I'm sitting there in my office. We're living in Idaho at the time. We've been married a couple of years and I'm sitting there working on an article or I don't even remember what I was doing. But I just started thinking about how we had just you know, butted heads. And um, I'm thinking you're such a you're such a doofus. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, those kind of things. And here you are, you're in Christian ministry. And oh, man. Uh, it got pretty warm really quick in that room and uh, conviction started setting in and, uh, you know, repented. And then I went to Sarah and the next thing was she wasn't ready. You know, we had just butted heads maybe 10 minutes ago, so she wasn't ready. Um, and I had to learn to be OK with that, you know, so just because you're ready doesn't mean your spouse is ready. So you should ask a question. Uh, mm-hmm. It took a while for me to learn that aspect of things and to trust that. You know, she would come back to me. Um, yeah. She would come back and we would talk through it. So don't be pushy. You know, when you hear that, don't be pushy. Be patient, guys. And, you know, your wife will come back to you and you can have a chat and then you can specifically apologize. And you can ask any woman. You ask her, you ask men, you ask her, your spouse. And this is what I did at a men's retreat. I said this. And and some guy said, no, that's not what she wants. I said, you, you're, after I'm done, we're done here. You're going to get on the phone and you're going to talk to your talk to your your wife and ask her if she wants you to specifically apologize to her when you sin against her. Mm. And she and uh, (laughs) I told my wife about that after I had done that. She's like, good for you. (laughs) But uh, your every woman is going to stand up and say, I want you to specifically apologize. Yeah, sure. When we sin against one another, no matter who we are, we need to ask for forgiveness. So. It's just a biblical principle, but it in marriage it goes a long way. It, it it really for a wife it it gives her a great respect and admiration for her husband to see him humble her himself and for me too and and our children we used to ask forgiveness of our children when we'd sin against them and I think that 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 gave them great respect for us that we were not trying to say we're without sin we're not we sin every day. And so, and when you're living with two sinners in a house, you sin. <laughs> yeah. Say, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have spoken that what, that way. I'm so sorry. My tone of voice was not right. Please forgive me. Sometimes I I'd say to my husband, "You need to be kind. Be kind." You know, that was just my way of because he'd get busy in his studies and you know, and he and we took that well. I miss I miss that. You know, I miss that interaction and that accountability in the home. I really do. So. You know, one of the other things that's been said um, online in this discussion, and by the way, we're not naming names here. We're, we're, we're not that we're afraid to call name names, but we're, 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 I'm wanting to deal more with the ideas that are being advocated mm-hmm. out there. So if you want to know the names, you know, you can go look it up if you'd like. But one of the, one of the ideas out there is uh, that there's a distinction for, for women, uh, women, can't learn academic theology and only learn devotional theology. And so do you see a distinction between academic theology and devotional theology in the Bible? You know, I heard those words um, on a podcast that I listened to uh, last week, but 
I don't even know what devotional theology means. And I honestly, I was thinking about it. Honestly, Dave, I think that's what's wrong today is massive amounts of women are teaching, if you want to call it, devotional theology. And so when I think of a devotional, I think of it's not anything exegetical. It's just more topical and it's kind of, you know, watered down a little bit, a little fluffy, tickles ears. And I think that's what's the problem today. I think that's why we have so many female false teachers. Not that we don't have men, but we have a lot of female false teachers and we have a lot of gullible women because they are listening and teaching that kind of, quote, theology. And theology is just study of God, who God is. And so if you're going to categorize that with devotional theology, their view of God is so uh, decomposed, I should say. It's not elevated. And um, and so the God that they're teaching in this devotional theology is not the God of the Bible. So the theology that women should be teaching is the theology that's mentioned in the Bible, the God of the Bible. Theology is just study of God. Who is he? And so I, I think that is what's wrong. I, I don't like those terms, but um, I do think women by and large do teach watered down theology because they're not Many of them are not in the word, studying the word for themselves. And so they're just kind of borrowing men's ideas and, you know, teaching them, which is not it's not wise. So I don't know if that makes sense. But, you know, those two words are not even in Scripture. So, Amen. Uh, yep. So I don't, yeah. I don't, know where, yeah. I don't know where those came from, but I'm not much into women's fluffy stuff. And maybe, you know, maybe this is a reaction to that. Because if you go to the Christian bookstore today and you look at the women's books that are out there, they're not even worth reading, honestly. Well, some men's too books are not worth reading in the Christian world. But that's why I like to read Puritans. I like to read dead people. <laughs> so, because <laughs> really most of the modern books are not very good. They just don't give you much food for thought. I can see where, you know, some would be very concerned about some of the women's writings of our day. They're pretty shallow. Yeah. And that that is a like you're saying that is a justifiable concern, sure. but sure. you know to to separate you know academic theology from devotional theology it suggests that like you're saying that there is more than one type of theology that we're to learn, and you don't see that you don't you don't see that in the meaning of the word, you don't see that in the history of the church. Period. So you know when when claims are made, that's the thing about claims. When claims are made, you have to support those claims and you have to provide actual evidence beyond just generalizations. So that that would be one thing that I would say. And the other thing I would say is, you know, like you said, theology is a study of God. Everybody is a theologian, R.C. Sproul said. So how are you going to reckon with one of the best theologians that in 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 the 20th century, 20, late 20th century, early 20? How are you going to reckon with what he said? Are you going to deal with what he said? that everyone is a theologian, the question is whether you're a good one or a bad one, and the irrefutable <laughs> fact, then if you're a guy like me and a presuppositionalist and nothing is neutral like these guys claim to be, then the other thing becomes you just undermine the very idea of the way that you engage in the apologetic method, which is another thing I think that's a that's strike two. But the other thing is, the third thing is, you know, so you got what is theology? Everyone's a theologian, the theological method, and and it's the approach of it. Um, in the New Testament, we're told in Ephesians four fifteen, other places, um, every ever almost every single time where our speech is used and how we speak, it's always to be done in love. 
love is always mm-hmm. mentioned, or one of the fruits of the spirit is mentioned. And those are things that the Holy Spirit is, you know, taking those truths from the word, right? And he's producing fruit in our lives. You know, he's taking the word and he's, you know, drilling the word down more and more in our life. And it produces the word by the spirit produces fruit in our mm-hmm. life. And so I, I would just say that's really dangerous. It's not only dangerous uh, because it it seemingly undermines the meaning of the word. It not only is dangerous because it undermines the very nature of the task of theology, separating the the various things. Now there are separations in systematic theology, biblical theology, church his, historical theology, systematic theology, all that. But you don't see any kind of in any systematic theology. Show I guess I'd say this. Show me where in any systematic theology it says uses those kind of language. I I have never read one. I've read. I've, I have. I have. Yeah, I have two. I have two dozen systematic theologies in my house. I I would love to be shown where that is is advocated. You know, yeah. by, Cal, by Calvin, Owen, um, Wayne Grudem, um, Joel Beakey. I mean, uh, John Frame. Um, you know, I I would love to be shown that, but it's not there. It's not. So that was that was a strange term to me. So I'm not really much into devotional type literature anyway. Period. I don't read much of it. Uh, I, I like to read good, solid biblical books, good biographies of Christian women, uh, you know, and men too. But I, I don't like, I don't even like devotional literature. Now, with the exception of Elizabeth Elliot, she had something to say. So. <laughs> but, right. And Amy Carmichael, some of the older women have great things to say. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> you know, this beyond this conversation, this this next question is a question I think that. Um, many people have today because, you know, we, we see a lot of different, a lot of different issues. And um, is complementarianism good? Is complementarian theology good for women? Sure. And that's what I teach. I am complementarian. I do believe we are equal. There is no male or female in Christ. Uh, we are all equal in value before him, but we do have distinctive roles. So I do not believe women have the same authority as men. Uh, I do believe there are distinctive roles in the church and in the home, and we should be living by those. So it's very good for women. And I think that's probably, again, why we're seeing this uh, recent surge in this patriarchal view of women. It's, you know, kind of as old as Bill Gothard type stuff this federal type of view of women and this micromanaging of women. I think that's where, why we're seeing the pendulum swung the other way is because so many now in the Christian world have adopted the egalitarian view of women. And so men are bucking against this idea and rightly so they should be. And I, I am not an egalitarian and I'm, I'm very, I'm proud to be a complementarian woman. So. <laughs> Well, I'm a complementary yeah. man. So and I, I yeah, I, I had friends that uh were Owen Strand was the president of Council on Biblical Man and Women. And my other friend Grant Casperi was the executive director. You know, I've written for the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, you're fine. So yes, to answer the question, should women be taught this? Yes. And I do teach it. I've gotten a lot of flack for my teaching. Um, and I've also gotten a lot of pushback for not allowing men uh, to come in, you know, to for me not teaching co-ed. I even had recently someone want me to come preach at their church on, on, over Zoom. And I said, sorry, you know, 
So um, I don't do that kind of, you know, that's where I am, am limited. And honestly, Dave, when, when um, I've had issues, you know, where there's sound guys and I mean, there's times that those things happen and that's, you know, understandable or security guys or stuff. But uh, that's a little awkward for me. I know they're not there to listen, but they are there to protect the church or they have to run the sound system or whatever it is they have to do. And I understand that. But, um, you know, I just and and my topics that I teach on, you know, that are biblical, but I also give illustration application for women. And so it's just awkward when you're talking about some kind of personal woman issues. uh, Those are really not applicable to the men in my the men that might want to try to get in the audience. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it would be weird for any guy that wants to get in on that. So, you know, yeah. secure, security or sound, one thing, you know, yeah. set up, maybe set up the sound and go, you know. Yeah. And I've even had pastors. They, they've told me they're they're sitting in the back or they're listening to it in the like if they have a TV live stream. They do that. And the reason they said, you know, I, I just want to make sure that what you're teaching my women is sound. And so. They should. They're supposed to shepherd the flock. They better be overseeing the flock and making sure that, you know, I'm not teaching anything that would be contradictory to scripture. So I I don't have any issue with that. I think that's very allowable. Really good. So should women teach other women through posting social media updates, writing articles or books, having a podcast, teaching at a conference and so on and so on? Um, I believe her First priority should be to her home, her family. If she has the blessing of her husband to do so, I, I'd say it should be limited in the sense that I don't think she should be spending her days doing this. Um, I don't know. I think social media is valuable, but it also has a lot of pitfalls and it can be a conduit for gossip, slander, arguing, bickering. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. I see very little gentleness. On social media, especially on the comment sections of a lot of these Christian podcasters, websites, you know, Instagram posts, Facebook posts, a lot of arguing. I think we're going to be accountable on Judgment Day for that. So if she can run that through the grid of God's word and the blessing of her husband, uh, and it doesn't suck her devotional life, her time in the word, and it doesn't suck away the time from her family and ministering to people. I mean, getting out of her house and go visit some widows, go, you know, take your kids and go do ministry. So, I, you know, I think sometimes social media is a cloak, uh, something we hide behind because we don't want to get out and, you know, meet people face to face and get involved in community. So I just say for her, to her, yes, it's fine, but make sure it's biblical and make sure it's not it's not above everything else we should be doing, all the one another's so, yeah. that yeah. we need to be doing. So, yep. Yep. There's too many, uh, I call them keyboard ninjas. Yeah. You know, they're like, I got a keyboard and you're going to hear everything that I have to say. And it's like, um, okay. I don't mind hearing what you have to say first off, but you know, most of the comments that I get, a lot of them are discouraging or they're not even helpful. Like, no, it's like you, you don't even know if the person listened to what you said or, Or did they read the article? You know, so so one thing that I try and love not and it's hard to do this online really well, because when you respond and say that you're viewed as right defensive. But 
when you respond to like a podcast or an article, I would just say, since we're on video and you can see my face or you can hear my voice, try to try to let the person know, hey, I read your article. I liked the article or I listened or watched the episode and I liked that that content much the same way as you would tell somebody if you sat and listened to them. Hey, I really appreciated this point um, in your message or your teaching or whatever. The same kind of thing applies online. There's no separation um, between the two. There's no difference. I mean, between the two. Mm-hmm. And the more that we can, the more that we can take that in. I think, you know, the better we'll be. You know, this is a person made in the image of God. You know, mm-hmm. if they're not saved, they need to hear about Christ. If they're saved, maybe they need some help. Um, maybe they're reaching out because they have questions. And and like the other day, I was having a conversation with somebody. And I, and I just kind of deleted their comment and messaged them. And we got to the root of what the issue was, you know, not, not with the podcast or anything, just the root of this specific person's question that they had, you know, and, you know, it's sometimes that takes a little time, but taking the time matters. You know, there's no, don't be, if you're in such a rush to, to do that, then you got to ask yourself some questions. Um, you know, I mean, it's like holding the door for somebody. It's, it's it's when we go to the grocery store or you see a guys, you see an older lady that's struggling to put the groceries in her cart. Do you go and ask, Hey, do you need some help? You know, and sorry if that's weird to ask, but you know, I wasn't trying to scare you, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go there. You know, if I'm in, if I'm out and about, you know, somebody is at the post office. Um, they can't carry their, they're having a hard time carrying stuff because they're hurting. I'll not only hold the door, I'll take their package to the car. You know, it's it's a kindness thing. It's a, you know, um, it's a witness thing. And mm-hmm. they might not ever know that I'm a Christian or whatever. And that that doesn't even matter. It's I'm not doing it for them. I mean, I'm doing it to help them. But, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yep. I think, too, we need to remember often social media creates a, a world that's not real. You know, we can create our own little world around our social media. And we think that's that's our world. Really, the world is lots bigger in and there's so many needs out there. People are needy. They're hurting. They need the gospel. They need help. Like you said, helping the lady with her groceries. But we're so engrossed in our devices, even out in public at airports where I travel all the time. I I look around and everybody's on their device. Nobody's talking anymore. Go out to eat. Whole families are sitting around a table at a nice restaurant. Nobody's talking. They're all on their phones. And so we've lost that connection, this talking to each other and learning from one another. So we're getting all our, you know, all of our uh, information from from social media, which is can be can be very dangerous, I think. So, yeah. And then it's no wonder, you know, that we when we do get on social media, we vent all our frustrations and we. I mean, everybody knows what I'm talking about there. So, yeah. Well, what do you what do you say to ladies who faithfully teach other women, whether in the local church, through a podcast, social media, articles, books, conferences, so on, and then they're attacked by men who suggest they shouldn't do those things and that they should only teach their children and only be concerned with only the sphere of the home and that which is connected to the home? Well, I would say to them to be concerned about pleasing God over men. I also would question these men who are attacking these women in the sense that 
God's word is authoritative, it's sufficient, and it's inspired by him. And so we start in Genesis 3 with a woman, and uh, we have Miriam who, you know, wrote a wrote a song for, you know, to be sung. Uh, we have Hannah who wrote a prayer, and we have her. We have Mary who wrote a Magnificent. We have Holder the Prophetess. I mean, I could go on and on. So what do these men do? with these texts when they come to them in expository preaching, do they lay them aside and say, oops, this is a woman talking here. She's talking theology. I mean, you read Mary's Magnificent, that's theology. You read Hannah's Prayer, oh man, that thing is rich with theology. So what does the guy do with that? He is actually, yes, inspired by God through the Holy Spirit to men, but this is a woman talking. And she's teaching in the Bible. So my question is, my I've been thinking a lot about this list, is what do these men do with this? These are women in the Bible who are who are speaking deep theology. And um, these are God's inspired words. So I would encourage them to know what the Bible says. I would encourage them to understand uh, biblical manhood and womanhood, complementarian. What does that in, entail? Uh, they need to they need to be educated. Um, and so but I would not be afraid. I, I They need to know how to defend the truth. They need to uh, know how to contend for the faith and contend for the truth. And they need to know their role as a wife and a woman and a mother <laughs> and, and what her gifts are and how to use them for the glory of God. So I'm not intimidated by these by the men or women. There are women out there, too, that that think what I'm doing is is sinful, but I I can defend my position, not because of what I think, but because of what God says. So I would say to these women, they need to know the truth and they need to be able to defend the truth, not from people's ideas, but from the, the actual inspired word of God, be able to defend your position. Amen. So, and we, yeah. And, and, you know, we shouldn't be afraid uh, men to have strong women, you know, as we as we were talking about earlier, as you have those kind of conversations, like we were mentioning earlier, you know, where you're going to have theological dialogue from the word about issues or the news and bring the Bible to bear on those or a number of things, you know, that's going to that's going to create not only strong men in the church, that's going to create strong women in the church. And mm -hmm. the question is, shouldn't we want that? What I mean. You look at Ephesians 4.15, you know, uh, God gave the church pastors and teachers. Second Timothy 2.15 tells us, that Paul's telling Timothy that they're to rightly handle the word of God. So the way I think about it is God gave us pastors and teachers to help us to rightly handle the word of God, you know, so that we could, you know, do that. So, so why wouldn't we want not only strong men in the church, why wouldn't we also want strong women? who can rightly handle the word of God. And like you mentioned earlier, just to bring this kind of full circle, you know, we do have an issue, not only with men teaching falsely, but with women teaching falsely. We have, you know, you know, to put it another, to, to use an example, you have prominent men and women teaching, you know, the Enneagram as a, as a valid way for the Christian to engage in their sanctification. And, you know, um, actively teaching, you know, the use of new age and um, and so and social justice. And I mean, the list could go on and on. And it's like, you know, a lot of these people I had a lot of respect for at at one point now, not so much, 
you know, and they would be considered, they were, many of those people were considered, um, you know, in the, in our camp. Now they're not. Um, and so we have to be able to stand on the word and in love. Um, and, and, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not pointing those words at anybody. I don't think in, you know, at anybody in, in specifically when I say that it's more of just to be aware that there's these things out there you know and and it's something to be aware of it's something to know it's something to to run away from mm-hmm. um and part of our job as teachers of the word is to warn right um it's to contend for the truth um, and that's that's to be you know second uh, timothy 2 24 and 25 we're to correct with gentleness mm-hmm. and and we have to ask the question again because the re- one of the reasons I always ask the question about gentleness and whenever it mentions the fruits of the spirit, because I, I don't think that if your average Christian makes that connection. And so I bring it up to, to say as a reminder, these are f- fruits of the spirit that we see in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. These are things that the spirit is using through the word in your life to help you become a mature man or a mature woman in Christ. And that's that's what God wants. He wants us to be conformed, Romans 8, 28, into the image of Christ. So, Amen. And could it be, I, I'm not judging or and I'm not assuming, is it with some men who have issue with this, is it because of their own lack of spiritual discipline and laziness? Are they, are they neglecting their responsibility as head of the home to be the spiritual leader, the wife? has a, a desire to grow and learn. He may not have that, that desire that she has or is deep. And so he's, it's an excuse for his own laziness to not study theology or the Bible or church history or whatever it is. And so he doesn't want her to outpace him or supersede him. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's the answer. I know a lot of lazy women spiritually too, but that could be part of the issue. But I, I think she needs to know how to defend what she believes biblically. That's the big issue. Amen. I, I think another thing, though, is is there's a view out there um, that complementarianism is one of the top five biggest issues in the church today. And mm-hmm. I think that's wrongheaded. I don't think that can be defended uh, from the Bible. And I don't think that that can be defended from the history of the church. Mm-hmm. So that would be my response to that. Um, I do think that in doing men's ministry for a decade in the local church, not our, not at the church where we're at, but at other churches, um, I do think that a lot of men are apathetic. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, it would alarm. I mean, it would alarm. I'm not even going to say everything, but it would be it would be alarming to a lot of men, a lot of pastors, the things that um, you know I've I've seen, I've heard. Um, and but a lot of it is it's a failure it, you have to keep this is one of the reasons why whenever i preach i almost always talk about keeping short accounts with the lord mm-hmm. you know ongoing repentance it it goes a long way in fact there's a famous story of john calvin at the end of every day he would write down what he learned every mm-hmm. day and then mm-hmm. you know he would he would try to you know remember the lessons that he learned and there's something to be said about, you know, not morbid introspection, but something to be said with remembering the Lord, taking your stuff of the day to the Lord, casting it on the Lord, 
confessing it to the Lord and then resting in the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. That will, that will keep you. Uh, I think I've often said, even when I've interviewed biblical counselors like yourself, that'll keep you out of the biblical counselor's office. That'll keep you <laughs> yeah, out of the pastor's right. office. I it mean, will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it will. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, how can how can husbands encourage and help their wives flourish in the word? Well, I think to uh, inc- first of all, they need to be in the word themselves so that they can uh, give answers to their wives when wives have questions. And uh, I think make sure that, um, you know, encourage her by asking her, you know, you spent time in the word today. What did you learn in your reading today? You might. Also, it works in some marriages for the husband and wife to read the scriptures together and to pray together. Some sometimes it works in marriage, sometimes it doesn't. But um, you know, my husband knew I was in the Word each day, and sometimes I would come to him and ask questions, you know, about things I was reading, and and so uh, I think just he needs to set the example. My husband used to read his Bible through usually two or three times a month. And so I would go in the den and he had his Bible open. He just, he read massive amounts of scripture. So he set that example for me. And uh, so this year I'm trying to read more scripture than I ever had before because uh, he was a learned man and I really respected that. And um, so I'm trying to read more of the scriptures these year, this year. And so he needs to set the example and then he needs to encourage her to come along and, and do that either with him or, and she needs to have her own time with the Lord too. Uh, she needs to have personal time in the word and prayer. But if they can do that together, that's good, too. And they should talk about it. I mean, we talked about theology in the Bible with our kids and at the dinner table. And and uh, so it's just encouraging, you know, just talk when you sit down, lie down all th- all throughout the day. The Lord should be the primary focal point of our of our time and our conversation. Everything we do and say. Really good. Yeah. Even ask my, my wife and I both work from home. And so. You know, we, we spend lunch and sometimes, you know, we're able to do that. And it's such a, you know, because mm-hmm. of whatever meetings or whatever, you know, sometimes we eat and go and other times, you know, we're able to sit and enjoy the whole hour. And, you know, when we do that, I mean, it's such a rich time, you know, because. Yeah, we, my husband and I both worked outside of the home, too. I had a this is my office and he had also an office here at the house. So, um, yeah, we both were at home. and so throughout the day we you know talk about things so it was it was a wonderful you know and and i would just say you know something that continues you know i think every couple has to grow in is kindness you know mm-hmm. um especially as you keep progressing on in your marriage and you get more and more comfortable with with each other yeah it can be you know that person is really irritating when they do this. And, you know, we we all we all deal with that. You know, oh, yeah. we all have to work on that. And it's just the yeah. continual reminder that you know kindness really matters. We're not talking about just being nice. We're talking about being kind and gentle, and you know, forbearing with each other in a biblical sense. But you know, it's it's a it's a continual process of sanctification. Yes. So. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's true, you know, for Sarah and I, um, as well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Sarah and I here, you know, we, we have to remind ourselves often, you know, Hey, you know, kind words, you know, they matter, you know, Mm -hmm. not just abrasive, uh, overly strong words, 
you know, and I'm talking about myself here. So, uh, and I have to, I, I have to repent, you know, I have to repent often of that. So, you know, it's a continual, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian, like I have for years and years, decades, three decades, um, you know, in ministry, two decades, you still, still a work in progress, you know, and you're, gonna blow it. you're still going to blow it and you're still going to sin. And, you know, the, the question becomes is what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Amen. And, that's where you know the opportunity to shepherd men your your wife and then if you have kids we don't have kids but shepherding your 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 family it comes in you know that's why you know we sarah and i we can have those conversations and we that we have to go back and we have to ask questions hey do you mean this no i mean something else but you heard it this way and these are the kind of conversations that are that are good for us because, you know, you might think, oh, I'm being so clear. I'm clear as mud on everything that comes in my mouth and or in an article or a book. And uh, chances are you're probably not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I know I'm not. Um, I can admit that, you know, with what is it? But many words, there's vexation, you know, or something like that. I think it's in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> <laughs> or something like that, you know. Oh man! So the more well, words, that you multitude use, of words, transgressions unavoidable. That's for sure. You know, the more the more words you use, the more likely you're going to need. Yeah, so you're going to sin. Think, yeah, think about that for <laughs> let, marinated that a while. You know, Jeez Louise. Anyways, but uh, yep. Well, Susan, where can people go to find out more about you on social media, your website? You know, again, tell us about, you know, your latest books. and uh, Just with the master.org, you can, if you just go there, it'll take you to Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, everything. So I don't have to give all that out. <laughs> just put uh, with the master.org and it'll take you to the front page and you can go where all everything you can ever want to know or don't want to know. <laughs> so that would be a good good place to start so but yeah, yeah i do have a, a youtube channel facebook instagram that kind of stuff i my daughter uh runs the instagram facebook page but i do answer women's concerns and counseling questions there as well and then the youtube channel they can find pretty much we're trying to get all my teachings up there so there's like uh probably 10 or so maybe 11 of my studies up there Bible studies so they can go through those and yeah, that's, they can do that. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know, there, there's a lot that we could say about, you know, this topic as a whole. And, you know, just as we land the plane Mm -hmm. and end the conversation, what takeaways do you have for us, Susan? Well, one thing we, we didn't say, but I would like to say, and and I'm not trying to be critical again, but um, one of my concerns about all these things, whether it's this issue we're talking about, women teaching women or, you know, social justice or Christian nationalism, whatever the latest thing is. I do think that, as you said, we need to be gentle. But I think when we do these things, like even what you and I are doing right now, it's not to gain a platform or be a Christian celebrity or have X amount of followers. Everything we do should be for the glory of Christ and his name. And that's what troubles me today is I think there's a lot of men and women that want to be Christian celebrities. We've we've forgotten that we're slaves. And I think even seminaries today are guilty of producing men who want to be somebody. And that's not good. We should want to be slaves. The way up is the way down. 
those that exalt themselves will be humbled. And so I, mm. I think we need to remember who we are and we're dust and we have a departure date and we need to live every day for the glory of God. I think that would change our social media. I think that would change a lot of what we do. That's the first thing I'd like to say. Secondly, I, what I just want to reiterate to the women out there who are struggling with what, what they believe on this issue, please study the Bible. Look at God's word for the answers, not to men or women. Just look to the look to the scriptures, study them. And uh, and then for those that are teaching other women in the context of a complement complementarian view, don't don't fear men. Make sure your husband's fine with it. Your pastor, make sure you're under the proper authority. Uh, make sure you're teaching truth. But um, don't let this make you cower in fear. Uh, we need good women who are teaching good theology and biblical truths to women. That's why women are floundering. They need the godly older women examples that are there. So don't don't be afraid. <laughs> Do the right thing. So uh, that would be some of my takeaways. So wonderful. Well, I I so appreciate you coming on, Susan, and for our friendship and for your faithfulness to the word and to all that you shared today. Uh, thank you. Your blessing to so many people and uh, so thankful how the Lord is continuing to use you. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, at Servants of Grace, on Instagram, at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.